the What's Right broadcast. It is so good to be back. We were off yesterday because of Memorial Day, but we're back today with a brand new episode of The Man Who Would Be King. Pastor Brian is going to be joining us in just a second, but first I want to say hello to y'all. Make sure that as you are hopping on, comment, say hello, tell us who you are, where you're watching from, so that way we can say hello back to you. Johnny's on, Kevin's on, Holly's on, Georgia is on, and they all say hello, and it's Georgia, Georgia's gone. <laughs> it is so good to have y'all with us. Georgia, Georgia's here. Y'all, it is good to be back. I hope that you guys had a great Memorial Day. And as you are hopping on today, make sure that you share the broadcast because it's going to be a power-packed episode today. And people that you know need to hear what we're about to share. It's going to be great. Sharing is awesome. Sharing is caring, as Pastor Brian started saying recently. So make sure that you go ahead and do that. Miss Randy. Hi, Miss Randy. We love you. And as we are getting... I was going to say hooked up, but that wasn't the word I meant. I just saw a pastor like hooking up his microphone. As we're diving into today, I have some questions for you. I spent a good chunk of my morning looking up questions. That way I am always ready. And I have three very important questions that I want to chat with y'all about. Question numero uno of the day is, when have you felt your biggest adrenaline rush? George laughs. George the skydiver laughs. When have you felt your biggest adrenaline rush? Hi, Mr. Chris from Indian Trail, North Carolina. Miss Randy says, love you all too. Natalie says, hi. Okay, so I had like an initial answer when I read this one today because I feel like stereotypical answers are roller coasters or, you know, when I dove off a cliff and it was scary. But I think the biggest adrenaline rush that I ever had was when I told George that I loved him. Because I didn't know Whoa. if George felt, I know. I didn't know if he felt the same way. And George made me say it first. 
And, <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure that that was the biggest adrenaline rush was saying I love you and not knowing what his response back was going to be. I, I felt pretty confident what it was going to be, but I didn't know what it was going to be. Johnny says that his was almost falling out of a wind turbine. Oh my gracious. George says jumping from an airplane for the first time. Um, so those are good ones. Buddy was pretty excited to find out that George is a skydiver. Um, <laughs> we have some charades going on off screen. It's pretty exciting. So. <laughs> I want to talk. What was your biggest adrenaline rush? I don't know. <laughs> I just had one. <laughs> just, right now. This right now. No. You guys missed it. No. <laughs> no um, Kevin. Kevin says the first time he was shot at. Yeah, that Kevin, would do that it. Would do it. That would do it. For sure. Yeah, that was a good one. I don't know. I have to think about that. Okay. Well, while you guys are thinking of your biggest adrenaline rush, we have like military men on right now. So they've got like the, when I jumped out of a plane and when I got shot at. And mine's like, when I told George I loved him, the adrenaline flew through my body. It pumped through my veins. So there's right there the difference between George and myself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Prilla says, Holy Ghost said to get out. I was driving back from Texas at night and stopped at a gas station. Um, but when the Holy Ghost speaks, he said, or you move. So, next question. Well, Pastor thinks of the I would say that mine was Pause on the next question. One, of the, one of the ones I was never shot at. So, I'm, I was in between both of the wars um, over in the Middle East. But uh, I would say my, my biggest adrenaline rush that I remember right now, there's pro there were several. One of them was when I was rappelling off of, yeah, at boot camp. That was, that was a pretty big rush because I'd had a fear of heights and leaning back over that wall was pretty, pretty big. I would like to jump out of a plane. I enjoy that stuff. So George is going to take me sometime. But Absolutely. when I was little, uh, my dad heard a noise out by our shed. And so he said, come on, son. And he's, he's got like the gun and the flashlight going like this. And we... Walk out from the house, it's like, I don't know, 30 yards from the back of the house, and it's really dark, and he's got his flashlight, and he's got his gun. I knew if he had his gun, it was serious. And so we go around the shed, and about that time, he swings the flashlight, and there was a big block or something, and the flashlight uh, caused a shadow to hit the wall and, like, come come this direction. And I was like, oh! right here I'm, I'm going to be deaded <laughs> I'm going to be dead and uh, man my heart <laughs> leapt I was I remember that I was probably I don't know fourth grade fifth grade something like that so George changed his answer or he gave a supplement answer and he says my wedding day on He's also sitting here, so I'm looking at him. I'm not just awing the screen. Aww. Um, Natalie says, probably when I shot my first deer. I can see that. Johnny is talking to Johnny? Oh, no, Johnny's replying to George. And he says that he fell off one in, or almost fell off one in West Virginia. Um, Ooh. 
Whoa, yeah, I bet that's not fun. Chris said that he was motorcycle racing and his biggest adrenaline rush was turn one, lap one, grand national final in at Road Atlanta. That brings up, I did the NASCAR drive. That was pretty cool. Going around the NASCAR track at Charlotte. That was pretty awesome. Okay, question number two. I feel like this could be a hotly debated one if we have creative thinkers. I don't know who's on today. Okay, is cereal soup? Why or why not? No. Let's discuss. Uh, probably, I should <laughs> let people answer first. <laughs> I knew both of y'all's answers, George and Pastors, as soon as I did it. Buddy immediately says no. Hey, Amber Fraley, good to see you. <laughs> Rebecca, good to see you. Serena says no. Becca, hi Becca, it's good to see you. So, I, I don't know. I feel like it could be soup. It depends on what you're defining soup as. Does soup have to be hot? There's soup that's sold cold, that is served cold. Is it, well. Not just because I like it cold. Did it have to be cooked at the beginning, I think is a requirement. Cereal has to be baked at the beginning. We're not talking about the ingredients, <laughs> we're talking about the liquid. Is that the definition of what makes soup? That it has to be. Look, Buddy is putting up definitions. Buddy is apparently very staunch. This I like. This I like. Buddy is trying to. A liquid food, especially with meat, fish, or vegetable (laughs) stock as a base, often containing pieces of solid food. Well, out of the box thinking is just not what is happening with this topic right now. (laughs) I don't think it's soup, but I was really excited. George said, Buddy off the top rope. (laughs) <laughs> Bam, take Kevin that. Kevin says, no, not soup. In my opinion, soup has more than one food group in it, and it's hot. <laughs> well, I am sorry for poking well, there. Then, and I see, like I would I do this just to ask the question, is soup uh, soup that once was soup, but now it's been in the fridge and cold, and you don't warm it up, is it still soup? It's a great question. It's a great question. I have an answer for myself, but. I mean, this just brings us back to what, so this, okay, so this brings up a George question. This isn't a question, but this is, this is a topic that's been heavily debated with George in our house, is what do you eat out of bowls? George has a very finite, limited amount of food that's acceptable to eat out of bowls. Cereal, soup, not stew, and not chili, just soup. Stew and chili is off of a plate, not pasta, so soup, Cereal and ice cream, and those are the only acceptable things that you can eat out of a bowl in our home. He is choosing to ignore me, but I am correct in this Kevin debate. Kevin says, no pastor, Brian. In that case, it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ashley, over on YouTube. Ashley, good to see you. Okay. That's funny. Well, since this was so completely obvious that soup is not cereal, last question of the day, and I'm very excited about it. I would say it's still soup, but it's um, because even if it's not warmed up, because it goes back to Buddy's definition, it's it still has the same base. It's just not warm at that point, but it was cooked at one point. Amen. Yep. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the worst pet you've ever had? I am very excited about this one because I have a great answer and I'm excited to hear your answers. Worst pet? 
pet I've ever had. Worst Can somebody pet. get that monitor closer to the camera, please, eventually? Lisa Fur Lamb says, hey, and love you. Okay, so while okay. y'all are answering with your worst pet, I'll tell you about mine. I was eight years old, and maybe I was seven. I was right around there, like second grade. And it was my first pet that I remember having, and my mom let me get a fish. I was very excited about this fish. And my brother got a fish, I got a fish, and it was a little one, it was not, it was not a great big one. I had two fish, and my fish was put in the tank with my brother's fish, and I went to sleep that night. I named it Rosie. It was wonderful. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. This was my brother's fish. It wasn't technically mine. It was my brother's. I had the stories confused for a second. My fish was named Rosie. I don't know what his was named, and anyway, bottom line, I went to sleep, and I woke up, and my fish was dead, so we just assumed that the fish died. It was bad fish, so we went back to the store the next day, and I got two fish, my brother got another fish, so it's two and two. The tanks were beside each other. My fish started thriving. The other fish that we'd gotten for my brother was also dead. So then we got the same kind of fish, thinking that it was just the wrong kind. That fish also <laughs> ended up dead. So we just left that fish alone in his tank. And then one day I'm sitting in a rocking chair by the tank and I'll, I heard like this, the fish was murdering the other fish by picking up stones from the bottom and shooting them at the other fish, like literally shooting them to death. So he saw my fish through his tank into the other one, and he was throwing rocks at it from his mouth, like murdering at least four fish while in my home. So clearly it was a devil fish, and we brought it back say, to the store. I was going to say, that thing needs to be cast out. <laughs> Buddy's over here going, that's so cool. <laughs> So that was. And this is a great question. Pet. We've got some cool things. Amber <laughs> said her worst pet was a rock. It did nothing all day. That's valid. <laughs> That's a valid one. Buddy parakeet. Oh, parakeet! That bird, dirty. Kevin said snake. Hands down, changed my mind. I dare you. <laughs> mm -mm. Did you have a snake? Like, is do you hate it because you had the snake? What was his Serena name? Serena said we had a dog for about a month, and he just tried to bite us just about every day. I mean, that's what my cat does, but it's <laughs> Chris said, I want a sniper fish. <laughs> <laughs> Jade says, I used to have a hamster that would put its rear end up in the corner and potty outside the uh, cage, uh. and it would bite. Horrible pet. Also, Maggie was a terrier. She's a pit mix, and she used to eat all of our household items, but she's better now. That's true. She's way better. Oh, Abby, I remember Lazarus. Abby had a goldfish. That, that was a great pet, though, not a bad pet. Yeah, Lazarus jumped out of his bowl, and he came back to life, like, three times. Um, Kevin says he didn't have a snake, but many of his friends did. <laughs> Randy said she agrees with Serena Asher, the dog. We had him only a short time. He lunged and would try to bite us. We lovingly parted with him. <laughs> I had a roommate in college. Again, this is a fish. So the fish was fine, but the roommate made it not fine. It was my first encounter of ever living with someone. And she talked to the fish, and she talked to the fish a lot. Like, not just a little. Like, we came back from Christmas, and the fish was her best friend. And she would talk to it. She'd tell it jokes. She'd tell it about her day. All, <laughs> like, I'm not exaggerating. I'd come back in, and she'd just be talking to the fish. 
And I didn't love Jesus then as much as I do now. Um, and I decided that I wanted to vanquish the fish. So I tried, and the fish outlived my many attempts. Like, I poured bleach in there, and oh the fish gosh. somehow lived through. I know. I was not nice. I wanted the fish to go away, but it lived. So joke was on me. <laughs> but Look at Ashley's. Ashley, I love you. <laughs> I love that it's like a paragraph. Worst pet experience was my mom's cat when I was a kid. That thing would hide in the rooms with the lights out, and when you walked in it, it would jump out with the claws out. It would hide on top of the refrigerator, whoa, and attack you out of nowhere. It was a demon cat. <laughs> Buddy. Pete is coming for you, Barrett. You know, I have told this story publicly many times, and PETA has not yet found me, so... This was all, I, I, what, I wonder what the limit of, st like, the statue of limitations is on, like, fish attempted murder. I don't know. I'm praying you don't find out. <laughs> <laughs> it outlived lots of other things. It recently died within the last couple of years because she sent me a message about it. She wanted me to know because I was so attached to it in college that it had recently passed due to natural causes. That's so, funny. Seven years later, it was good to go. I had, uh... I had a cat attack me when I was little. It wasn't our pet, but it was a, a Siamese cat. And literally, my dad saw it. It was like, stalk. I was three years old, four years old, and I was on the back patio at these apartments we lived in, and my dad saw it stalking me. And um, he saw it, so he went out to try and stop it. And when he did, he said, like, get out of here. Well, the cat was, like, already about to pounce. And as he did, he just took a swipe at me like he was an angry cat. And, um, like, before angry cat was angry cat, this was a real angry cat. <laughs> the OG and, angry cat. Yeah, this OG. <laughs> and and uh, what's the other one with the shade? Gangster or whatever. Um, what is that? I don't know. What's the meme that always has the shades that come on? I can't think of it right now. Anyway. It's a cat? No. No, it's like anybody who does something that's like savage or something. But can uh, what is that called? Uh, oh, my goodness. Anyway, huh? <laughs> it's the digital shades they'll put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, huh? Thug life. That's it. That's it. Thank you, Jade. Jade got it. Anyway, so this was that cat. My dad literally tried to go hunt the cat down and kill it because it had. So that cat swiped at me, and literally there was an inch between each claw. Like he just, oh I mean, gracious. he sliced my back open. And uh, you would think I hate cats. I don't, but that one had problems. <laughs> Becca said that she had a dog that was so stupid that she would about choke herself to death on her chain and break every chain that we got her and run wild through the neighborhood chasing our neighbor's pets around. Yeah. Kevin says that he used to be a member of PETA, People Eating Tasty Animals. He was a <laughs> charter member. Yeah. <laughs> we had um, one time, so in college we had a fish tank because we were, you know, guys. And uh, you got to have a fish tank, apparently. That's part of the rules back then. And so we got this fish tank. It was cool. And we had spent a decent amount of money getting it up. It was a nice tank. But I had bought, it was a freshwater tank. And I had bought these fish that were really cool. They were called silver dollars. And they'd be about yeah. two inches in diameter. But they were very thin and like perfectly round. It was a, a beautiful fish. And um, so I had that, and we didn't know, but you've heard of the snakehead fish oh, no. 
that is illegal now to have, but at that time they weren't illegal and they were kind of exotic, and so we got one of those. We didn't know what they would do. This thing is like almost unkillable like that other fish, and it would, the snakehead literally, like a snake, would unhinge its jaw and eat, and they're such, in uh, basically in Asia, they're, big time predators, they can grow up to like three feet long and stuff like that. So you didn't want to let them loose, that's why they're illegal now. And anyway, this snakehead, we come home one day and my silver dollar is like a half moon. And it's like got this big hunk out of, it was like floating in the tank like this. I'm like, oh, my silver dollar, it's, it was horrible. And then one day it just decided it wanted out of the tank. And so it literally swam, so there, powerful. It swam so fast, slammed the top of the tank, busted the lid off of the little plant, broke the lid off. It's laying in the floor and the fish is laying in the floor and it doesn't die. It did it like three times. It still did not die. It was in, they're, they're resilient. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Kids think that fish are going to be the easiest pets, but let these be cautionary tales <laughs> that if you don't have the fish that the Lord wants yeah. you to have, they could be like little terrors in yeah. your house. That was crazy. I'm haunted by the <laughs> floating half moon. My silver dollar. <laughs> no. It's 50 cents now. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Thank you. <laughs> You're so pleased with I yourself. Was. <laughs> George is not laughing. He's in the back shaking his head because this was a bad joke. <laughs> Buddy says it sounds like a Finding Nemo story. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Johnny said that we had cats that shredded my truck seat. Pamela Kelly said my granny had fish. We would catch the goldfish in our hands and watch them flop around. We heard Granny coming, and instead, oh no, we heard Granny coming, and instead oh. of me putting it back, I swallowed it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> then I thought I was going to die. I was all of maybe seven years old. She was so mad at me. Sorry, Granny. Oh my goodness. You That's swallowed a, a live goldfish? I bet swallowing pills is like nothing for you. <laughs> My goodness, how big was it? Pamela, that's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> Holly put up recently on Facebook that if you keep a shark in, like it was supposed to be this great big like theological thing, like the size of the container you put something in limits like how much you can grow. So like a shark yeah. can be, either be eight inches or it can yeah. be huge. Yeah. And while that's great, at the same token, it just made me realize that I could get George a pet shark and we could put it in a cage and it would be okay. I've, I've had a shark. I've had one. You've had a shark? Mm -hmm. What kind of shark? It's just a little one. What kind of shark did you have? It's just a little one. I forget the name of it. That's cool. Yeah. Julie says, I loved your joke, Barrett. <laughs> Julie, I love you. Buddy says, wasn't that a trend in the 80s? What's the, what trend? Swallowing goldfish. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Oh, in the 30s. Wow. Yeah. In the <laughs> 80s, they just moved to raw eggs <laughs> and big hair <laughs> and mom jeans. Oh. <laughs> Fishy story. Well, that was my worst pet. Awesome. 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 
I, I am very excited because I did spend quite a bit of time today looking up questions. So guys, we're gonna get really, we're gonna get to be very good friends by the time I've moved away from this because I'm very excited to hear all of your stories. I like story time a lot. <laughs> we learned recently, like at youth on Sunday, that bonding um, with new people involves, like Buddy and Serena, involves like telling incredibly personal stories. So I can't, I can't talk, I can't say for sure how personal we're gonna get, but I'm okay with it, I'm down with it. You ready to dive in? I am, Melissa Billingsley, hello, good to see you. Praise God. All right, well, let's jump in. Let's turn to First uh, Samuel 25. Is there anything else that uh, you need? I don't anything think else so. that I'm missing? You have to help. I'll think through. Keep if there is, straight. I'll let you know. Keep me straight. All right, amen. Well, let's look. We're talking about the man uh, who would be... <laughs> Can we tell a, a Jade story right now? No. Let's, let's don't. I just want to, I bet no matter where she's at right now, her face just instantly went. Just like that. <laughs> so we welcome you. It's going to be a great, great day. And the man who would be king, uh, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. I apologize to you for yesterday. I uh, should have uh, been more diligent to let people know that we weren't going to watch, we weren't going to be here yesterday. Uh, but for Memorial Day, I figured people would be with their family, and uh, I wanted our guys to have a day off as well. And uh, so we, uh, we're coming back here on Tuesday. I didn't think about it on Friday that Monday was Memorial Day, so I apologize to you if you logged in. <coughs> Kevin Nowicki. And uh, so, anyway, I know Kevin sent us a message. He was like, hey, are y'all having a broadcast today or what? Man, I appreciate your hunger so much. That blesses me a lot. And, uh, you know, we've been talking. I think that uh, uh, it's been so good looking at this series with David and looking at the man who would be king, the person who would be a leader, a CEO, a president of a corporation or of a country. Uh, the person who would be a supervisor, a manager at their job, a person who would be a servant leader, or a person who raises disciples. They need to be a leader. They need to study to show themselves approved and uh, make these leadership characteristics a priority. And uh, so one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we study, especially you know, one that I haven't mentioned yet is ministers. Uh, everybody that, that is a believer, everybody that's a believer is called to be a minister, whether you're uh, a five-fold minister, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, which is an office that God separates you into, or if you're just a believer, you're called to be a minister. And if you're called to be a minister, you're called to lead people and to influence their lives with the good things of God. But it's hard for us to do that if we don't have, uh, if we don't have our uh, character designed to keep us there. Many times the gift will make room for us, but character will keep us at that place. And so that's what we've been looking at, and I hope that you've gotten a lot out of it. I know I've gotten a lot out of it just by going through it, and I think it's been a great series just for me. I've received a bunch myself and been meditating on it now for weeks. I forget what part this is, part 27. So we've been talking about it a lot. So Kevin said, I'm sorry. Uh, 
<laughs> he was just so excited for what's right hour. Man, don't be sorry. I, that, that thrilled me. I saw that you were ready to see it. Uh, that was great. I really appreciate your hunger and uh, humility for the word. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Don't be sorry about it. So, so looking at chapter 25, what has just occurred is that David spares Saul's life in the cave. Saul repents to him. He says, I know you'll be king. I, he said, remember me and my family when you uh, take the throne. And it looks like everything's good. Uh, one of the things that we ended with last week is this is the big thing for a leader is to make sure that they understand when is the timing to step into position. So right at this moment, the king himself says, I know, David, you're going to be king. And uh, he repents to David. Looks like everything's soft. And it, most people, most people I found in that position would then move and try to move and take the throne. But David doesn't do that. Saul goes home. David goes to another place uh, because he understands that just because it looks that way, you have to, when you're being led by God, you have to know what to do, but you have to know the time to do it. Uh, the timing is key. And God will communicate what to do just as much as he'll communicate the time to do it. And so one of the things when we're looking at chapter 25 or the end of uh, chapter 24, verse 22, the verse before chapter 25, says this, David uh, swore to Saul that he would remember his household. Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So what you see is David didn't just assume the throne. This is what many people do. They assume leadership instead of waiting on leadership. They assume it, and that's where they mess up. David did not assume leadership. He was waiting for the Lord to build the house. He didn't want to build it in vain. Remember, this is David speaking this in uh, Psalms 127. This is how he learned this wisdom. All right, now chapter 25. Now the prophet in the land at that time was Samuel. And in chapter 25, verse 1, it says this, Samuel died and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel... Uh, now, this man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. A Calebite. Verse 4. It came about that while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, from verse 2, verse 4, that David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have, long, have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. 
Now I've heard that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us and we have not insulted them. In other words, we've treated them well. Uh, we've handled them well. We've not given them any reason to be insulted is what David is saying. Nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. They, they've not missed anything. Uh, we haven't stolen from them. We've given no reason to be insulted. Right? And then, he's, then he says this. He says, verse 8, Ask your young men and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. Now, you have to see here. So they're shearing the sheep. This is going to be a day. It's going to be like a, a payday for them of sorts. It's going to be a day uh, when they're going to come into a profit, come into a harvest. It's going to be a day uh, that is a celebration. It's a festive day. In other words, they're taking this and today they'll get paid. Today they'll be overflowed. Today it'll be this way. But not only that, even if it wasn't that day, you have to see that, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that Nabal was a very wealthy man, a very wealthy man. And then he says this. He said, when David, verse 9, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal, According to all these words in David's name, then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? These are many, there are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and water and my meat and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears? And give it to men whose origin I do not know. So David's young men retraced their way and went back. And they came and told him according to all these words. Now what I want you to see is this. I want you to see that Nabal is sitting here. He's very wealthy. He knows who David is. But he's acting like he doesn't know who David is. He's acting, he's acting like he doesn't know. And what he's doing, he's being a very evil businessman and a wicked businessman at heart. He's being greedy. Uh, he, he's basically saying, no, I'm going to keep all this stuff for myself. I'm not going to share it. And uh, not only that, but David, you got to remember, he was even protecting the area. He was, he was keeping the area, and he's treated Nabal's men very well. He's treated, treated them well. But he's saying, no, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I, I don't... Who do, who's David? In other words, he's blowing them off. He's saying, look, I'm not going to pay attention to who he is. I don't care who he is. He's accusing him of being a runaway, uh, a runaway slave. He's accusing him of being somebody that, that shouldn't be there. No, who, I'm just going to give my stuff to other. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And, and so one of the things that Nabal's doing, not only is he saying no and he's being greedy, but he's also accusing David of not being who he says he is. He's ignoring what David has done in the area. And all he's doing this is because, look, I earned my money. I don't, I don't need to do it. See, this is an area, now obviously Nabal is a bad leader. We're going to find out in a second. Nabal's name actually means fool or dolt, D-O-L-T, um, a fool. And so one of, 
one of the things that you're going to see is he's acting like this. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that he wasn't successful. It means that he was successful, but he was evil and wicked in his in his ways, and he was acting foolish with the things of God. You have to understand that the hand of God was on David. The hand of God on David is what was already starting to protect the land. The anointing on him was the one uh, was the thing that was keeping the land. The anointing on David. It's the anointing of God. So what is Nabal actually doing? He's saying, I'm not going to honor the anointing. I'm not going to honor that. And so you'll see many people act this way when it comes to tithes and offerings as well. You'll see that many times... uh, That was funny. So right now she's putting up the tithes and offerings thing. That was not planned. Like... Nice timing, but that's not what we're talking about at this moment. It is what I'm talking about, but don't put that up anywhere else yet. I just saw it pop up on YouTube. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. So you'll see that many people are not honoring the anointing when they should be honoring the anointing. And they're saying, no, no, I don't need to give. I don't need to give here. I don't need to give there. And watch this. They make excuses to not honor the anointing. This is what Nabal was doing. This is what he was doing. And this is what we need to be very mindful of and make sure that we're not in that. God loves a cheerful giver. But don't just think about finances. Think about our heart towards the things of God. God loves an abounding giver. Don't just think about finances. Think about our heart towards the kingdom. Am I about his business? Am I winning souls? Am I praying for people? Am I being the leader? Am I being some somebody that somebody else can lean on? Am I being who God's called me to be? Or am I making all kinds of excuses for why I'm not there? Am I making all kinds of excuses for why I don't have resources that I'm giving to God? Well, I need to do this at my house. Well, I need to do that at my house. You'll see over, I think it's in Malachi. It may be either Malachi or it may be Habakkuk or Micah. Uh, I'd have to go back and read it. I think it's actually, it's in a couple of places. But one of the things that it says, or no, it might be Hosea, but I think it's Malachi actually that talks about this, where it says, look, you are, one of the things that you're doing is you're treating God's things as if they're lower. And then another place says this, you're going to fix up your house before you fix up the house of God. In other words, what we're saying is this, you're not paying attention to where your source comes from. And this is what Nabal is doing. He's completely making up excuses to not be readily available to honor God and honor the anointing. He's saying no. He's not finding reasons to be a giver of his things. He's finding reasons to not be like that. And this is what you have to see. God is a giver. Love gives. So he's finding reasons to not be like God. To not walk in God's ways. He's finding reasons to not do that. And it's very, very important for us to not be like that, but to carry the heart like 2 Corinthians 9, to be an abounding giver and a cheerful giver in everything that we do. We need to look, I, I like 
getting to the place where I can say, man, we're just crazy givers. You know, not because it's crazy, it's crazy in the world's eyes, but not crazy to God. It's one of those things where we say, Lord, let us give everything. I've asked the Lord before, it's like, can I give this? You know, and I've had them at times say, no, I don't want you to give that. Oh, man, but I really wanted to. I, God loves that kind of heart. But then there's many times where he said, yeah, you can do that. And then knowing that God will repay, God will bless it, pressed down, shaken together, running over, given to our lives. But many people never move into those things because they haven't purposed in their heart to be a giver. So again, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about uh, how about fasting? How about praying? How about reading the Bible? How about winning souls? All of these things we can determine and purpose in our heart to be a giver and God will give seed to the sower, the one who is the giver in that way. So Nabal was doing everything opposite of this. Be mindful of this. Put this in the comments. I must, I must pay attention. I must pay attention to not make excuses for not giving. I must pay attention to not make excuses for not giving. I found that this is a symptom when our heart is off. I must pay attention to not make excuses for not giving or not being a giver. And when we pay attention to this, all of a sudden things change in our lives. We must, and I'm not, again, I'm not just talking about finances. Are you ready? Are you available? Uh, we have uh, training in our leadership course. You're not just looking for people that are skilled they also have to be available. They have to be ready. They have to be ready to go. They have to be available to go. You know, let, you know George is sitting here uh, today. Let's say that, that George is the best skilled uh, usher that I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, he knows stuff. He operates and stuff. He, he just knows what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. He is anointed to be an usher. I mean, he is skilled. He's studied. He's read books on, on being ministry of helps. He's done all these things. But if on Sunday he's not here, then it doesn't, all that skill amounts to nothing. If he doesn't say, yeah, I want to be utilized, then what good is that skill? You know, we have a statement, everybody's a 10 at something, but we're, we're trying as a ministry to find what has God gifted that person in so that they can utilize their gifts and sow them into the kingdom of God and reap the rewards of, of sowing that into the Lord. But if we're not, if we've not made ourselves available, then what good is it? But not only that, we need to get better at it. We need to get skilled. We need to study to show ourselves approved. So here's the thing. If I'm finding reasons to not be available, if I'm finding reasons uh, to not grow in my gift, to not grow in that thing, then I am not doing my job and I'm being like Nabal. I'm being like him. So we must pay attention to not make excuses for not being a giver. We must pay attention to that. If I ever find myself making an excuse to not give, at, that is a red flag to me. I immediately start checking my heart because I know that I'm off somewhere. If I'm, if I'm finding a reason to not give, that's, for me, that's a personal uh, red flag. It's a trigger for me that I, I got my mind set 
to recognize that so that as soon as I don't feel like uh, being a giver, I make sure that I will check myself and make sure that I'm on the right track and, and what's out of place. Because a giver is being like God, and Nabal was doing the exact opposite here. He's actually uh, scorning David. He's being very rude to him. You can read this today, and, and you can say, well, he wasn't that rude. No, he's being really rude, especially in the custom, in, in the ways that they operated. Uh, David's approaching him with respect, and Nabal is basically just being a stingy person. He's being a very stingy person and finding excuses not to. Then watch this. So much so, here you go. And, and I believe that David was a little bit off here. I believe he was, and I'll show you why I think that. But I want you to see what happens here. Here's how bad Nabal was. Look at this. So David, verse 12, So David's young men retraced their way and went back. And they came and told him according to all these words. Verse 13, David said to his men, Each of you gird on this sword. So each man girded on this sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. So I want you to see, as soon as they told David that, David said, get your sword. Right. We're going to go lay waste to this man in his house because what he did was very rude, very dishonoring. What he did was really messed up. He was very foolish, and you'll, you'll see that. Uh, Nabal was very foolish. Now, I think, and what you'll see is, I think David was moving a little bit hasty but you can see how strong in this culture what Nabal did was. But I think even stronger, we can look at a heart to be a giver or a heart to be stingy. And you can see from a spiritual standpoint, it is very wrong for what Nabal did. He should have found a way to give instead of being stingy. It reminds me of the story uh, that, that talks about it reminds me of the story of the rich man who had much and he said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build more. And the Lord said, this day, this night, your life will be required of you. This day, it will be required of you. What's the, what's the sin there, the C word uh, that, that he was guilty of? You remember it? Look up that scripture. And anyway, he says, he says, this day, that man, that man was saying, look, I'm going, I'm going to make sure uh, that I have enough room to store all of my stuff. So he's storing all of this stuff. He's storing all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, here it is. He's storing all this stuff. He's going to tear down his storehouses and build more storehouses just to keep stuff. What are, what are you doing? Proving how big you are instead of being, becoming a giver, you know? Huh? Covetous, yeah. He said, he said, you are covetous. You know, the spirit of covetous is what God's talking about. And that's what Nabal was being here. He was coveting all his stuff instead of coveting the heart of the Lord. Instead of coveting the heart of the Lord, he was coveting stuff. And Nabal was the same way. And we have to watch that. A, a bad leader, 
will be covetous over stuff. I, you know, I had a uh, situation that I heard about one time. And uh, there, was, there was a ministry, a church, that was in operation, been in operation for quite some time. I think they had everything paid for. Uh, somebody had left an inheritance to the church, and it was over six figures. It was over six figures that they had sitting in the bank. And I heard about how uh, the minister uh, would, would brag about the six figures and brag about the six figures. And it, and it went on for like 10 years, 10, 11, 12, 13 years. And the minister would brag about what they had in the bank. And, uh, and they weren't spending it. They were just storing it. Like this to me is one of the worst things you could ever do. You've got over six figures in the bank and you're not applying it to winning souls when time is so short, when, when the day of the Lord is approaching and you're sitting on it instead of doing that. To me, that's one of the worst things you can ever do. If, if our leaders were sitting here on the broadcast with me, they'll tell you, I will drain a bank account in a heartbeat and God will refill them. It was never meant, this is the parable of the Dead Sea and, and the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee teeming with life, teeming with fish. That's why Jesus was on there, why the fishermen were there. But the Dead Sea had no outlet. There was no flow in it. And because it stored up all the minerals where it could not sustain a fish, could not sustain life inside of it. When you start to become covetous and you, and you have this, uh, this thing where you just try to store and hold everything and you find reasons not to be a giver, you immediately start to dry up life inside of you. Hear that. When you become covetous and find reasons not to be a giver, life immediately starts to dry up. Put that in the comments. When you become covetous, and cease to be a giver, life, or, or find reasons, excuses, to not be a giver, life immediately starts to dry up. You will not live in the fullness of life. You will not live in the fullness of life. You will not live in the fullness of life. Now this is not, Barrett, I, I don't know if you've put the, the pen stuff. Normally each day if somebody wants to be a giver, we have instructions up on how to be a giver. I'm going to move off of giving in a minute. Don't put those in the comments till after I've been off of it for a while. This is not trying to get you to give today. It's trying to see how to be a leader and stay in that position and not be at a place where life is, is demanded of you. And you'll see this is exactly what happens to Nabal. He's making excuses for being a giver. He's being covetous and his life is demanded of him very shortly. The next day, he's never the same, and 10 days later, he's dead. Same thing, same thing that happened to the rich man that says, I'll, I'll tear down my storehouses. As soon as we start becoming covetous, and we start to make excuses for being a giver, immediately, life starts to dry up. But the Sea of Galilee, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, we... You have the Jordan River that runs in 
to the front, to the top of the Sea of Galilee, and you got it coming out. And I was baptized in the Jordan River right as it comes out of the Sea of Galilee. I could see it, see the Sea of Galilee right here. Here comes the Jordan River. I'm telling you, there is a water flow through the Sea of Galilee. And because of that water flow, it holds life. This is how we're supposed to be with our life, with our finances, with our skill set. This is how we're supposed to be with everything. Uh, the other day, the other day, uh, somebody even on this broadcast, we've had a need here at the church. They said, Pastor, I want to meet that need. And they, they took their, uh, they took, they got people to come and be a part of them, paid for people to be and say, Lord, and say, Lord, I want to take care of this need for the church, for the gospel. I want to make sure that this is met because they took their skill set and they took their resources and said, I want to be a part of this and make these things happen. This is how, this is letting the things of God flow through you and God will multiply you. God will multiply you in that way. Amen. All right, so let's go back to Nabal. Obviously, he made the wrong choice and David's about to go wear him out. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he scorned them. So now, see, you have the Holy Spirit describing what happened here. He says, he scorned them. Yet the men, David's men, were very good to us. And we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. So I want you to see, this is not just David's men not stealing from them. They were protecting them from other thieves stealing against them too. This is part of the reason why the scorning was here from Nabal. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. So now just watch this. Had David not been there, Nabal's uh, resources actually would have been lower from other people stealing his stuff. But David's mere presence allowed him to keep and for, uh, for him not to be stolen from. So what David was asking for was just a blessing out of it because they're out there, they need help in that moment, and they were a blessing to Nabal. Yeah. Notice verse 16, David's men, they were a wall to us. They were a protection, they were a shield. Not just to the stuff, but he protected the men too. Now therefore, know and consider what you should do. For evil is applauded against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. This is Nabal's servant. <laughs> you know, this is Nabal's man speaking about Nabal. What kind of leadership is this? And we know this is not his man just being out of order or being unsubmissive or a lack of humility. He's just telling the truth. He's going to Abigail. Talk, he's talking to the man's wife and saying he's so worthless. Abigail knows it. Abigail knows. Verse 18. Abigail is a woman of God. This is who we named uh, my daughter Abigail after. Because she was smart. She was a woman of God. She was married eventually to an anointing. But at this point she's not. But she was married to an anointing and she was beautiful. This is what we named her after. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread, 
two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins, two hundred cakes of figs and loaded them on the donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now, why didn't she tell her husband Nabal? Because she knew he would tell her no. He, she knew he was an ungodly man. She knew he was not doing what God wanted to do. And here's the other thing. She's trying to save everybody. She's trying to save all the people, all the men and women that are a part of, of their family, a part of their work. She's trying to save them all. And he's going to tell her no, but she knows I've got to do this because David's going to come through here and, he, and basically you're going to find out he's going to kill every one of them. So she's trying to save them. Now, see, a lot of times, because I've had this issue come up in ministry so many times, this is not an excuse to not be submitted to your husband. However, you have biblical precedent right here where an ungodly husband is saved and his stuff and people are saved because of a godly wife. In other words, there's, and it's the same thing with any authority. During this period of time, everybody was quoting Romans 13 that says we must you know, listen to the authorities in the land, the governmental authority. But if you read in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, if you read all over the Bible, there is a higher authority than the government. And you only follow the government up to the point where they cross the line of God. You know, so you submit to them as long as they're doing godly. In Acts 4 and Acts 5, you know, the, the apostles are basically saying, who do you want us to listen to, you or God? You're telling us not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they were saying, we're going to preach in the name of Jesus. I don't care what you tell me to the government official. Well, here you have the same thing. This man is crossing a moral line. And the woman is saying, the wife is saying, because he's crossing a moral line, you only have authority as you submit to godly authority. Your authority ends where you cross the moral line of ungodliness. When you cross from godliness into ungodliness and you're asking for this, immediately you cease being an authority. And so at this point, Abigail becomes the authority in this family and in this business. Because she was submitted to the things of God. And so she becomes that authority. Now, I can hear, I can see right now where some people would take that and they would utilize that to give them an excuse for not submitting. That's not what it's saying. Not what I'm saying. You need to, this is why I'll be very important. I would never make these choices without confirming that with a very spiritual led pastor. I would, I would never make those kind of choices as a lady that would be in this situation. You should reach out. First of all, you should be connected at a very spirit-led church. And then second thing is you should have a pastor that understands these things and operates in these things that can give you a confirming word. Many times we've told people, listen, you need to be patient. You need, you need to be patient. It's not the time for this. This was an extreme circumstance, and she chose the godly thing. It, what, what Abigail chose was not an ungodly thing. It was a godly thing, and the 
The word actually celebrates it. You see this a couple of times throughout the word where people say, no, you're crossing a moral line of God and I have to follow God. I can't not follow God. So, for example, you can't, uh, you can't go and say, well, my husband's telling me not to go to church. I'm sorry. God's already told us to go to church. Don't forsake the assembling together of the saints. That's a direct command from God. That husband is completely out of line to, to require you or even ask you not to go in that place. That's ungodly. And actually what happens is, what happens here with Abigail is because she goes after godliness, God meets her and brings salvation to that household. Now, not to Nabal, you'll see that he passes away because his heart would not be changed. That was his choice. But everybody who could be saved, Abigail saved by going after godliness, by submitting to the things of God. So as long as that authority is in submission to God, you better be submitted. And just because they make a mistake one day or two days, that doesn't mean that they're, not, that they're ungodly. We're talking about somebody who has committed themselves to not go after God, to not bear the fruit of godliness. That's the kind of person that this comes into question. And Nabal had done that. Nabal was an ungodly man. All right. So then it says, she said to her young man, verse 19, go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. So you can see he was protecting what Nabal had. May God do so, or, excuse me, verse 22. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. So David's saying, may God do so to the enemies of David. And he says, I'm, I'm wiping every one of them out, every male that's connected to him. I'm going to wipe them out. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. Look at this submission. Look at this humility that she's put on. This is what makes her godly. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. What? On me alone, be the blame? She's not the one who made this choice. Her husband made this choice. She says, on me alone be the blame. This is, see, this is godliness. This is what Jesus did for all mankind. Let the blame be on me. This is, this is Jesus. This is acting like Jesus right here. This is godliness. This is humility. This is submitting to the things of God. This is not saying... Not saying, well, I, you know, everybody else messed up. No, this is her saying, hey, somebody else may have messed up, but I'm taking the blame. On me alone, let be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let 
my Lord, pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. His name means fool. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you, from shedding blood and restrained you from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. 27. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord... An enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Now, I want you to see what she's recognizing. She is recognizing, David, you are doing the Lord's work. David, you are doing what you should be doing. You are fighting for the Lord. You are going after the Lord. And I'm honoring the Lord by honoring you. That's what Abigail is doing here. She's saying, I recognize the anointing. I recognize what you're doing. I recognize what you're after. You are doing God's work and you will walk with the Lord and I want to honor it. I don't want to dishonor it. I want to honor it. I recognize, she says, I recognize my husband did the wrong thing. My husband dishonored it, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to honor it. He may have been ungodly, but I'm going to be godly and I'm going to honor the Lord by honoring you, David. Verse 29, should anyone rise up to pursue... What's she doing? She's honoring that anointing of God. Should anyone rise up to pursue, pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as, as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Now, what, what has she done? She said, look. If you do this and you kill all of these, it's going to weigh on your conscience, David. And she's right. It would have weighed on him. This is the mercy of God stepping in because David was about to take an action here. Now, David was not necessarily wrong in terms of legality, but it looks like from what we see in context, he, he may have tried to move too fast. He needed to let the Lord establish uh, his protection to be his source. A good leader allows the Lord to defend them. Uh, early, many times I've had the Lord say, I'm your defender. Because over the years, we've had many people that have talked bad about us, talked against us, talked about different things. And any leader that's doing anything from, for God will have that. But the Lord has said many times, he said, I'm your defender. And I'll tell you, Nicole and I both in Boomerang, as we've been here, we've watched the Lord defend us time and time and time and time again. We've watched it time and time again where people have spoken about us wrongly. Or, and, and look, we're not perfect people by any stretch. We're not. We're men, just like the apostle says. We're, listen, we're just men. 
Don't worship us. Worship God. But our job is to point to God. And we are on a task from God. And we recognize we are called. We have an anointing to do this. We recognize that this is happening. We're not going to say it's not because I'd be lying to say that that call is not there, that that anointing is not there. I'd be lying to say not that we've done everything right. But we've been consistently going after God for years and years. And people, you know, what happens is spiritual deception starts to come in. People don't take their thoughts captive. They start thinking the wrong things. Then they start speaking and acting the wrong things. And God said this, I can't tell you how many times. I am your defender. I'm your defender. And we've watched him back that up time and time and time again. And so here's the thing. As leaders, a good leader doesn't try to defend himself. A good leader doesn't take all action into their hands. A good leader says, Lord, what would you like me to do? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. In other words, it it leans on the Lord to be the protector. I'm not anointed to be my protector. Jesus is anointed to be my protector. I'm not anointed to be my defender. Jesus is anointed. I'm not anointed to carry the weights, carry the cares. Jesus is anointed to do that. So if I try to step into his role, then I'm limited by myself. But if I allow him to be his, the anointed one in my life, then it brings an unlimited supply of God's anointing to carry the weight, to protect, to defend. Just put it in the comments right now. Jesus is anointed for the wholeness of my life. Jesus is anointed for the wholeness of my life. Jesus is anointed for the wholeness of my life, for the fullness of it, for the abundance that he wants to get. Not us. Jesus is anointed. And so then David said, verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself. Hear this. Here's why I believe David missed it. And this is what he said. He kept me by sending you. He kept me from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. In other words, the Lord was not in this. He was about to do it, but the Lord was not in it. He says, blessed, blessed are you, Abigail, who came up and humbled yourself and kept me from doing this thing. 34, nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought and brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within in him, for he was very drunk. And so she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. I want you to see, so Nabal just did something very ungodly, scorned the anointed man of God, uh, did, was covetous, greedy with all of his stuff. His heart was not set to be a giver. He was not walking in any of this. And how's he, how's he dealing with it? Is he bothered by it? No, he's not bothered at all. He's drinking, having a merry old time. 
What appears to be no cares, I don't care. I don't care that I was greedy. I don't care that my heart is like this. I don't, I don't care about this. Abigail's saving the family. Abigail's saving all the people here. Abigail's out there defending this. She's doing godliness because she has a heart after God. Nabal's getting drunk. This is the way many people are. They think that they're not in trouble. They think that they're not in trouble. They think these things are not serious. And then all of a sudden they find out they're on the wrong side of God. Verse 37, but in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. It looks like he had something like a stroke. As she spoke these things about this, instantly he has a stroke and, he, and he's basically a vegetable at that, in a vegetative state. 38, about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So look at this, the guy in the New Testament that Jesus talks about that was covetous. He said, I, I have so much stuff, I'm so proud of my storehouse. I'm storing up stuff but not using anything. Isn't it the, isn't it the full counsel of the word that we use what we have in our hand? We use it to grow the kingdom of God. Not just talking about finances and money, talking about our, our talents, talking about our skill set, talking about, hey, we have the ability to study and to grow, to, to build character for the person who would be king, to utilize that, not sit still, not just watching movies, reading books, doing everything the world with our eyes set on the cares of the world. Everything's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden there's a pandemic and we have no faith. All of a sudden, there's a lockdown, and we find out who actually was prepared and who wasn't. And so in this moment, all of a sudden, here we are at this place, and we find out who's actually studied, who's ready, who's prepared, and who's not. It becomes very evident. Here he is. This is ungodliness. Not a care in the world. Uh, He's out there. He just committed an atrocity that that was a breadth away from laying waste to every servant, every slave, every member of his household, destroy his business. His atrocity was that close. He's getting drunk. Completely deceived. Completely deceived. Completely off base. Abigail wasn't his wife. But Nabal was. And the same thing that happened to the guy in the New Testament, the next day, he, he died in the middle of the night. Same thing happens to Nabal. Within a day, he's dead. Within a day, he's gone, basically. And, it, and you start to see, it's like, okay. So how many people are sitting there? It's only the mercy of God that keeps us from not being this guy every day. We have to make sure... We have to make sure that we are giving ourselves to the things of God and we're not making excuses for it. All right. But he said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Abigail was God giving David a way of escape. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, but, um, where... No temptation is given unto man, but it, what is in the ability of man. And God is faithful, who will provide a way of escape also. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with it will give you a way of escape 
And so God, Abigail literally was God helping David out of that situation. And I like what uh, Kevin said. He said, Abigail gave the counsel of a wife to David. That's exactly right. So then, verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. So watch this. David is saying, he kept me from doing evil. He kept me from doing evil. Praise God for that. Praise God for the mercy. How did he keep him from evil? A godly wife. (laughs) A godly wife. I can tell you, my godly wife has kept me from doing evil. See, this is, this is the, the help meet that we are to be as a spouse, that we keep each other from evil. We keep each other in godliness. We move in godly counsel, godly wisdom. We're to be godly in this way. He says, the Lord has also returned the evildoing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Oh my goodness. She's about to be... she. She's about to be the wife of the king of Israel. She knows it. And she's not sitting there going, she's not sitting there going, hey, uh, I'm about to be the wife of the king. She's not sitting there doing that. No, she's saying, what's her statement? I'll wash the feet of the Lord's servants. (laughs) What humility. This is what made her awesome. What humility. She arose what would most people in today's world be thinking of? Y'all don't know who y'all are. I told y'all you, you were around royalty. I told you. I told you. I told you you were around royalty. I told you. No, nobody was listening. Nobody was listening. But I told y'all. They'd be, they'd be you know, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I'm emphasizing some people would be like that. Didn't you know? Everybody, their whole thought would be on their level that they just got promoted to. But a proper godly person is not, not paying attention to the level they're being promoted to. A proper godly per- person is paying attention, attention to the humility of a godly servant, of being a humble, godly servant. This is Abigail. A proper leader, put that in the comments, a proper leader is not paying attention to the promotion level but paying attention to serving with humility. A proper leader is not paying attention to the promotion level, but is paying attention to the servant, to serving with humility. Huge, huge point. Huge point. I wish I could have heard that statement 20 years ago. I've known it, I've tried to live it, but man, if I could have known that as an absolute, that would have helped me. If I could have heard it like that. What a huge point. 
Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey and with her five maidens who attended her. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David had also taken uh, Hinnom of Jezreel and they both became his wives. Of course, that was okay at that time and in their culture. It's not today. You shouldn't do that. Verse 44. Now Saul had given, listen to this. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. What a jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> hey, Michael, I know I gave you to David as his wife, but he's not here anymore. I'm trying to kill him. Hey, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to give you to somebody else. Saul, oh my goodness. Proper, proper leadership. Don't give away your daughter to a second man. <laughs> Don't give away your daughter to a second man. Amen. <laughs> well, I hope you've gotten something out of it today. We praise God for you. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow at noon. It's going to be a great, great week. At What's right. And uh, I just invite you back here tomorrow. If you would like to give today, you're welcome to. Uh, you can, in Facebook, you can just type in hashtag donate and the amount that you would like to give after that. If you are anywhere else or even if you're on Facebook, you can go to givebc.org and sow into the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, you definitely do not have to. Uh, and we're not, uh, we're not requiring anybody. We do this because we love you. This is our way of serving you. Uh, it is free to you. If you want to sow into it, that's your choice and be led by God always. Um, but we just praise God for you. And uh, man, I love, that's, that's a story that I've been waiting to get to because Abigail is such a godly person. And I love that. Again, that's, that's, what we, that's the lady we named our daughter after, our first daughter after, because she's such a great example of godliness in, in the word. And we just, we just love it. So, amen. Thank you, uh, buddy, for that donation. That's awesome. Melissa Billingsley, amen. Thank you. God's so good. She said, great message. I'll tell people, God is so good, and he's worthy of praise. If I did a great message, that was him. If it stunk, that was me. So. <laughs> Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. So if it's good, it came from him. Amen. We love you. Hey, Melissa, tell Van I said hello. Love you guys so much, and I look forward to spending some more time with you sometime soon. Hallelujah. Does anybody else have anything? Drop it in the comments real quick as we're uh, signing out for today. We love you all so very much and are excited about what God's doing in your life. I am talking to leaders. Amen. Amen. I am talking to people who will be leaders. It's going to be awesome. Miss Randy says, the story of Abigail, something to digest. Thank you. Blessings. Blessings to you too. Did you find a place to get your hair cut up there? <laughs> did she? Are you on I thought she said she did. Melissa said, we'll do and we love you too. Amen. 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 Glory to God. A godly spouse can save you from so much stuff. The question is, are we serving our spouse the way that we should? You realize that Nabal could have been saved too if, she, if he would have just repented. He could have been saved. He didn't have to go out that way. But he was so prideful he didn't even realize he was off base. And then all of a sudden he's gone. Many people it happens like that. 
Oh, Miss Randy said, not yet. Lord, I just pray, let Miss Randy find a place to get her hair cut in Jesus' name. Did you know God cares about those things too? He cares about the small things. Lord, help her find a way in Jesus' name. Praise God. When it happens, Miss Randy, let us know. I love hearing testimonies, especially of small things. I love, I love the small things because it just shows how much God loves us. It's just awesome. So we praise God for you. I just pray that you have a great day. Father, right now, let us be like Abigail, a humble servant of your things. Lord, let us be uh, not stingy and covetous. Lord, let us recognize when we're carrying a heart of stinginess, of covetous, let us recognize when we're making excuses to not be givers in our life of whatever it is uh, that we should be giving. Lord, let us recognize it quickly, and then, Lord, strengthen us with all your might to step away from it and be who you've called us to be. We praise you, we worship you, and we give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I look forward to hearing all of the testimonies of how God is leading you to be the leader, uh, the person who would be king. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing those testimonies that in the years to come. Uh, it's going to be awesome. If, if Jesus tarries, it's going to be so awesome to hear from you and say, man, God did this, and the Lord did this, and he showed me this, and he promoted us to this place, and we advanced the kingdom, and we won these souls, and we saw these people baptized with the Holy Ghost, and we prayed, and this person was miraculously healed, and supernatural finances and provision came in this way. That's the people I'm talking to, is the people who do all of that and more. And uh, we're excited to be a part of it. And uh, so as those testimonies come in, we want to hear about them. Send them to us. We love you. Have a great, great day. See you later. Bye-bye.